Hey, Rotoscopers, this is Tom Bancroft, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with MJ and Chelsea. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 137, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. This episode was brought to you by the patrons. That's right. To find out more about how you can get your favorite movie nominated, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. My name is Chelsea Robson, and I'm so glad to have you all here. We, I have two fantastic hosts today. So first, we have Miss MJ Edwards, who was one of our Roto Riders. Say hi, MJ. Hello. Hi, thank you. <laughs> she is one of the, our great writers on the website. You go to rotoscopers.com, check her out. We also have um, some... Uh, links in the description if you want to check out some of her recent articles. And our special guest today, we have Mr. Tom Bancroft. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Good to be here, guys. I'm so excited to have you. All right, so anybody who doesn't know who Tom is, basically he has over 25 years in the animation industry. Most of those are at Disney Feature Animation. Um, he worked on over 10 animated films, five animated shorts, and he was also on numerous special projects and commercials. He's been at Big Idea Productions. He's also a, a celebrated author, um, where some of, one of his books, uh, "Creating Characters with Personality," is one recognized as like basically the design character book for video games, comic books, and cartoonings, and required textbook at many schools. Yes, I love that part. Um, he's president of his online art institute website, topbypro.com, and where that's where students are able to get instructional videos for some of the um, from some of the biggest names in the animation business. And he's also the artist in residence at Lipscomb University, and resides just outside of one of the greatest cities on earth, Nashville, Tennessee. I agree. Where he and I met a couple of years ago. Yeah, Yay. yeah. You used to live here, and now you've moved, right? I have. Yeah, I moved back to Arizona for some family reasons, but yeah. we're, I love Nashville, and I, I go back there periodically. So. Good. Get some gigs out yeah. here. I try to do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. It's great to be here, guys. So nice to meet you finally. Well, see, meet you again, Chelsea mm-hmm. and uh, and MJ. Nice to meet you. Well, thank you. Really nice to meet you. Listen I'm to all... podcast a lot. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, yeah and I have a podcast. I'll mention it, too. I have a podcast with my twin brother. It's called the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast, and not to steal any listeners away, but I, I'm just trying to steal listeners away from, <laughs> from you rotoscopers because you have so many. <laughs> well, here's the thing: is a lot of our listeners do do overlap because sure. I listen to your I listen to your podcast. I love your podcast. You guys always have some really great names on there, and a lot of really interesting stories and interesting interviews and just fun times. So definitely. Well, we, we both have different podcasts, so there's, yeah. it makes it, there's certainly no competition because uh, you guys do, you're from the fan uh, side of things and right. that makes it more interesting and fun in a different kind of way. We're, we're, we tend to be on the insider side of it, the more the behind the scenes kind of a podcast. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I, this is and this hopefully this Roger Rabbit thing we're doing today is sort of an overlap of the two, you know, a little fan and behind the scenes. 
Exactly. Um, normally, I do have two other co-hosts. I have Morgan Stradling and Mason Smith, but those both of them are off for personal reasons right now. Oh. Um, shout out to them. They're doing good, though. Hey, everybody. <coughs> hey. I have um, just to let you, I have been coming down with something over the last couple of days, so I may mm. have to cough. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not professional. It's okay. <laughs> you know you have a cough button? You don't have that? So you can uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's just sometimes it just comes out of nowhere though. So. Yeah. You have to cut out every cough when you go back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, don't worry. The the audio version of this podcast will be cough free for your listening enjoyment. Oh, nice. <laughs> and we're on live, I guess, right on the web. We are live. Yeah. Okay. We do have some chat going on, which is a lot of fun. If you want to have, if um, we do have on the rotoscopers dot com slash live we've got that chat wing open as well as on youtube itself so um mm. dylan mentis says props to chelsea for holding down the fort on this episode thanks dylan appreciate it mm. <laughs> all right so right now we are going to be doing one of my favorite segments which is a segment that we get to do with any guests now because we have two guests on here it's going to be a little bit of a a different one um but this is basically called Catch and Fire. So I'm going to be asking both of you guys just different questions. And they're kind of rapid fire. And we'll we'll start with, you know, ladies first. We'll go MJ and then Tom. You guys both give your answers. And we'll just kind of get to know both of you and just see, you know, what fun answers that we can come up with. It's always one of my favorite parts. Well, then, how about a quick round of Catch and Fire? Catch and fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough courage. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Yeah. I hope it's easy. I, I, I'm going to beat <laughs> MJ. That's no. my goal. It's competition. Well, the good thing about it is <laughs> it's just kind of whatever you get. Uh oh, there's no okay. wrong answers? Oh. There is no wrong answer. Then I don't want to play. So. I want to win. <laughs> We'll let everybody out there vote. I'm okay. <laughs> Afterwards. Better answers. All right. So, what is the first animated movie you remember seeing, MJ? Hunchback. It's amazing. Hunchback. Yeah. Hunchback. Tom. I'm gonna say Black Cauldron, and I, and I know there was oh. something before that, but that was the one that really sticks out. I was about in high school. I hate to say it. Okay. Favorite cartoon growing up? Like TV show kind of cartoon, or just anything? Anything. I don't know. I, I, Partial to Spongebob, I guess. But I guess I was a bit older than that, but I still watched it. <laughs> okay. I go back a little further, so I'm going to say Super Friends, the original. Nice. <laughs> All right. Um, favorite animated movie? Oh, that's easy. Meet the Robinsons. Love that one. Meet the Robinsons. Yeah. What? Oh, I'm yeah, totally going to beat you, MJ. No! It means <laughs> such a I'm, bad answer. I know it's CG, <laughs> but that movie means a lot to me, so I have to uh... get Okay. She's pulling that card. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the only way I can lose this if I, is, is if I said Chicken Little. Okay. But that ain't going to be my that answer. That is true. Uh, no, I'm going to say, gosh, it's hard to say all time favorite. Um, animated, right? I'm going to say The Incredibles. Uh, mm. I just love that film. It kind of encompassed all my loves of comic books and geekery and animation. And it's just, it's still a great story. Nice, yeah. What do you All think right. of uh, Incredibles 2? Are you looking forward to that one? Oh, of course. Yeah, because if Brad's in charge, Brad Bird, then uh, I'm there for sure. 
true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, who is your favorite animated or animator or artist? Uh, it would have to be Genki, just to be cliche. <laughs> oh man. MJ's beat me now. Because nice. uh, I was going to say Glenn Keane. Yeah. Oh, um, hey, we can all say Glenn Keane. We Keen. can. But I'm, you know what? I'm going to say, it is Glenn, but but don't tell Mark Hen. Mark Hen, I'm going to say Mark Hen is my answer just because he was my mentor at Disney for many years. And he's he's still a killer. He's still out there killing it. One of the few t- traditional animators still at Disney. Nice. Yeah. We won't tell Glenn. No, please don't <laughs> tell Glenn. The, the true answer is Glenn. But, uh, Uh, um, all right. Classic animation or CGI? Classic. Yes. Easy. Classic. There you go. All right. Um, Disney or Pixar? Wow. That's hard, isn't it? But (laughs) (laughs) Disney. I like that. They have a lot of variety and they go way back to the 30s. So Disney. Yeah, Disney's got it. They're killing it. They're killing it now, and yeah, they had a lull there for a while, but uh, right about the time I left, curiously, uh, <laughs> it started really lulling. Um, but they're back for bit for good for a while now, for the last three or four pictures, and, and they have all that classic stuff that Pixar will never have. So, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and um, Leica or Studio Ghibli? Leica, that's easy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm more like a too. Gosh, MJ, I'm just like copying you. Are we drawing? Is that what that means? <laughs> I, I'm just not as big into anime, although, yeah, that out of any anime, Studio Ghibli is, is definitely the one. For sure. All right. Disneyland or Disney World? Well, I don't actually know. Can I have a secret third option, which is Euro Disney? <laughs> <They're>, sure. <laughs> well, that's fair. I don't know much about those two parks to compare. Since you're foreign, we'll let you have that, MJ. Thank you. <laughs> Man, but quit changing. Um, let's see, I, I'm, I'm going to say Disney World because it is a world, not just a land. And yeah, there's okay. so much more there. And I worked there for many years. I was there for about 12 years and started at the Disney MGM Studios back when it first open nice all right so are we gonna go for heroes or villains i love heroes i know they're goody two-shoes most of the time but it's, <laughs> you gotta love the heroes heroes all the time mm-hmm. yep all right now this is gonna be an interesting one favorite animated dog oh wow uh because i like stop motion i'm going to go for frank and Mooney, actually Okay. All right, I'm just gonna have to beat you again, MJ. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be Max in the Little Mermaid. Um, oh my was, gosh, Max! I was an intern when we were making Little Mermaid, and I remember seeing Russ Edmonds animation of Max. And yeah, he doesn't talk and all that, but man, he just killed it. Um, just that all, all that great overlap of the hair and stuff. It's just it's a small character, a but it, he killed it. <laughs> That's a good dog. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, People or anthropomorphic? Uh, I have trouble saying it. Anthropomorphic. <laughs> I like anthropomorphic. There you go. I like Robin Hood and Zootopia was amazing. So yeah, I think it does make uh, that Disney movie just a bit more special. MJ is trying to kill me by saying little cute things. <laughs> <laughs> anthropomorphic. It just sounds beautiful. <laughs> you say it wrong and it sounds good. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm going to go with people because I'm a person. No, I, yeah, I think <laughs> I'm all about acting and performance. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm always into uh, the kind of the people characters, I guess. Okay. Summer releases or winter releases? Now, someone said this before, I think, that in the winter we get, in the UK, we get movies much later. So I like summer because we get them the same time as you. And I don't have to avoid spoilers all the time. <laughs> so what was your answer? <laughs> yeah, summer. Summer releases, yeah. Summer. Oh, okay. I got <laughs> yeah. confused. That long answer. Yeah, no, long okay. answer for you. <laughs> um, I'm going to say summer. I just, to me, I that's a great time to go see the movies. You have a little more free time and stuff. I just, Yeah. All right. Okay, so this is the most important and final question. Both of you at the same time. Which would you rather watch? Hunchback 2 or Cinderella 2? <laughs> That's I an awesome know. question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> poop or poop? <laughs> Which one's shorter? Uh, Which one's shorter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go nah. for Hunchback 2 because Cinderella is such a classic it might taint it a little to watch it I'm not sure oh man I, you know what I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to say Hunchback 2 only because I don't think I saw that one and I did see part of Cinderella 2 and it, and it burned my eyes because <laughs> um, I think it was done at the Korea studio if I remember right and whenever, whenever the sequels went to the Korean studio it, no offense to all the Korean studio people listening right now, but it was horrible. It was like the worst sequels. All the good ones went to Australia. So, anyway, sorry. Fifty-two out of fifty-two. Well done. Congratulations, you both passed Catch and Fire. Yay! Who won? Everybody in the chat, um, will you just say who won, please, right now? Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you for joining me on that session of Catch and Fire. Next, we're going to be talking about the shorts that came along with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yay. 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 <laughs> Basically, Tom had the awesome opportunity to work on some of these shorts, so we are really excited to get some of the inside on those. So we have some of the different ones. Both of these, um, all of the shorts came after the movie, and so the first one is Tummy Trouble, the second one is Roller Coaster Rabbit, and the third is Trail Mix-Up. All three have quite a bit of blood and guts and flesh of flying and poor <laughs> Roger. <laughs> I know, that's what I kept saying when I was watching them. Poor Roger, right? And there's always like a, a sexy Jessica scene. She's oh, always yeah. got to right. pop up at one point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had the honor to work on two of them, Roller Coaster Rabbit and Trail Mix-Up. Um, tummy Trouble, and, and I have a, an affinity toward Tummy Trouble because I was an intern, intern at the Disney Studio in California when they were making Tummy Trouble. And our little room that they put us interns in, there was about, I don't know, around 20 of us, uh, was right next to the animators that were animating 
tummy trouble. So we would always like walk over there, especially after they left at night, we'd stay late and we'd go look at their desk and like thumb through their animation and stuff. <laughs> so I feel a connection to tummy trouble for that reason. Uh, so I kind of feel like I could speak to all three to some degree, but really officially it's four because the short at the beginning of Roger Rabbit uh, is a kind of an unofficial uh, first short, which is, I think it's called Something's Cooking, right? Uh-huh. We are the real Brady, Brady Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of The Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why The Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are The Real Brady, Brady Bros. And, uh, and we look to that as sort of the template for all the shorts. So it's kind of important to mention Something's Cooking because uh, well, that was the one in the actual movie, correct? It's in the actual movie. It's it opens yeah. the film, yeah. And uh, but but it, it's the template that we used for Tommy Trouble, Roller Coaster, and Trail Mix Up. Not only in the the book bookends of horrible mom leaves her baby with Roger Rabbit to babysit and goes off somewhere and and is super huge for some reason, and uh, <laughs> but she walks off. And then, of course, everything goes wrong as soon as Roger's in charge. And, of course, Baby is horrible. Baby just gets into trouble all the time. And so it's not always really Roger's fault. It's just Baby's just this baby that wanders and wants to pick up axes and things like that. <laughs> and then Roger, of course, takes the fall for everything that he either just saved uh, Baby from or, or he, yeah, he doesn't really even cause it, if I remember right. I don't think there's one gag where Roger caused the thing to happen. Baby causes it by getting into some trouble, and Roger takes the hit. And that formula is really based on the 40s shorts, a lot of the Popeye shorts with Sweet Pea mm -hmm. and uh, Popeye. And then there was a few in a row there that uh, Olive Oil leaves Sweet Pea with Popeye. Same thing. She has to walk off and do something, and then Sweet Pea goes crazy and, and leaves the basket or, you know, the, what would you call it, a premulator. Don't you? Yes, that is right. A, a pram. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then uh, and then of course uh, Popeye is the one that takes all the hits and stuff. And then you know Bluto shows up sometimes. Anyway, that that is sort of the template that something's cooking was based on. And then we went even further, I guess you could say, with Tummy Trouble, Roller Coaster Rabbit, and Trail Mix Up. Um, and that's that's the template that was used for all three, and and, uh, and it's fun too because we're obviously trying to copy the '40s style too with the watercolor background paintings. It's they're they're all four beautiful shorts to look at. I mean, they don't. And I remember seeing the original "Something's Cooking" at the beginning of Roger Rabbit on the big screen, and just my mind being blown. I'd never seen full Warner Brothers animation done all on ones like to Disney level. Um, and, uh, and it was just like, to me, it was the most gorgeous thing I'd ever seen. And then to think later on, just a few years later, really, I would be animating and, and, uh, on rollercoaster rabbit trail up was kind of a mind blower. So did you already have the job be when the movie came out or were you like still in, in college? No, I mean, I have a whole story about who framed Roger rabbit, um, that kind of leads into this and I'll, okay, I'll tell it. 
right. Um, but yeah, I was at CalArts. So this was a 1988, if I remember right. I was at CalArts and Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of CalArts and uh, went and saw it with a buddy and, and my brother. And we came in late or, or we just didn't expect it to be packed. I don't know what it was, but we were artists. So we probably came in late. And so we had to sit in the front row. I remember being in the front row in this huge screen. It was a big theater. And we were looking straight up at the, at the screen. <laughs> up his nose. And, yeah. And uh, it was not a good way to see the movie. But um, that's what kind of, in a way, I guess, cemented that memory in my mind of seeing something's cooking. So then, you know, it starts with, you know, and the, and the, uh, and then the cartoon, something cooking starts with the old titles. I, I didn't expect it, but, you know, you got to, go back for you young listeners and, and rotoscopers that, um, that this was before we'd seen anything like that. There'd been no Roger Rabbit, of course. And we'd seen like little trailers, but Disney, uh, and, uh, and, uh, Amblin or, you know, it was Amblin, right? Was it Disney and Amblin or, um, yeah. before DreamWorks? Um, they, they were really selective. They didn't show a lot before the movie came out. You don't, you didn't see a lot of trailers um, there had just been a couple images, I think in that early magazine, magazine entertainment weekly had just come out. I mean, I, don't, I think it was kind of a new magazine if I remember right, or people magazine. There was a couple stills that had come out and I remember everybody in the animation industry hardly knew anything about it. It was a very kind of a secret project. And, um, but a lot, a lot of that because it was being animated overseas in, in, in England, uh, with, uh, Richard Williams Studios. So we didn't know a whole lot about it. There was a small studio or a small group in California at the Disney studio that was working on it, but it was a real hush hush. And and, and again, this was pre-internet, so you weren't Mm -hmm. seeing images and, you know, stuff even from the people working on it. So um, anyway, so when it started and then there was this old 1940s looking cartoon that started, uh, Something's Cooking, and then it, you know, it ends with him shutting the freezer and, and, uh, or getting the refrigerator falls on his head and then it opens and you see him now on the live action set. It was just like, wow. I mean, I, I do remember thinking even at that moment uh, being this young animator wannabe, uh, that I want him back in the short. Like I love the cartoon world. <laughs> I kind of was a little disappointed when it, that refrigerator opened and now he's in the real world. Uh, well, I best probably the rest of the, the audience loved that part. Right. But I was just like, Oh, and I love those backgrounds. I wish he was still in that, <laughs> you know, the real big takes and stuff. But um, but I just remember that that moment in time was huge. Uh, this was maybe for a lot of your listeners, seeing Little Mermaid for the first time on VHS was that moment for them. But, uh, <laughs> but seeing Who Framed Roger Rabbit in the theater, uh, it reignited. And you got to also remember, this was a, the historically in time, animation was in a really bad spot. I mean, they were, mm-hmm. they were shutting studios. I think filmation went under Hanna-Barbera was doing major layoffs. A lot of the TV units were closing down, uh, deke animation. Had Little Mermaid come out yet? Uh, no, because like I said, when I was an intern, yeah. uh, soon after that, um, within six months of that moment, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah. I was an intern at Disney and that was in 19 beginning of 1989. And they were make, they were finishing up Little Mermaid and making Tommy Trouble simultaneous. There was two different units. And so yeah. um, it was a really exciting time to be at Disney as an intern uh, with both those projects going on, Aladdin development being worked on. Um, there were some neat things that were Lion King 
this film called, you know, Lion King was down the road. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, so, you know, fast forward, I did get the job. Tony and I got the internship job at, at, at Disney and just next to us, they were making Tommy Trouble. And it was really neat because we had such an affinity toward Who Framed Roger Rabbit, having just seen it, I don't know, the year before, not even a year. I mean, I mm-hmm. think it really was, was it only six months before that? Because, um, yeah, well, six the movie, or eight months. The original came out in June Okay, eighty-eight. Yeah. But they were already fast at work on Tummy Trouble, um, like I said, when I was an intern. And uh, so... I went back to school right after seeing Roger Rabbit, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that was the uh, the fall of 87 and only went for a semester and got hired about Christmas time to go leave school and go to Disney as an intern. So that's the timeline. Um, and like I said, at that time, they were working on Little Mermaid. So that was like the very beginning in January or February of 1989. Okay. So, yeah, not more than seven months later. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but the shorts were amazing. Uh, Trail Mix, I remember now Roller Coaster Rabbit, again, for uh, the nostalgic reasons, is really special to me because it was the very first short, the very first animation at all that that I worked on. I mean, my very first project. So it was the project that we opened the, what was then the Disney MGM studios in Florida. Now it's called Hollywood studios, of course. Um, but back when that was a working studio back in 1989, May of 1989, we opened the studio and our first project was roller coaster rabbit. And so it was neat because also the head of our, um, our Florida studio was Max Howard. And he was the head of the Roger rabbit unit with Richard Williams. And mm-hmm. so he had roots with the original Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So there's kind of a, a neat history already to Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Florida studio with Max coming over from England to, to run our studio and him working on the original film. Now, did I see correctly that both, um, Robert Zemeckis was over both Tommy Trouble and Roller Coaster Rabbit too? I saw, I um, I saw his name. I, I'm sure his name is As on like it. Art director. He had nothing to do with them. Okay. Um, we never saw him. We, I, don't, I never even really... I guess he would get screen stuff. If I remember right, I think I do remember hearing that he would have to always get screen stuff and kind of give his thumbs okay. up. But very little involvement um, beyond just probably saying, yeah, that looks good. Keep going. Make <laughs> Go me some me. money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hope this one's uh, bigger than the last, you know. <laughs> I need a new car. Um, yeah. So, uh, cause what none of the original group roller coaster rabbit and trail mix up and tummy trouble, none of the original, uh, animators, I'm going to say none, but I don't think any of them really came from whom frame Roger out. It was like a whole new group. So, um, maybe on Tummy Trouble, there were a couple that had worked on the, um, Toontown sequence in who frame Roger rabbit, but I don't, I don't really think so. Um, I know Tom Cito worked on it and Bruce Smith. Um, oh, Franz Vischer, Franz Vischer might have worked on the original. I can't remember. But anyway, it was very, uh, very new group uh, in all three cases. Um, but by the time we did Trail Mix Up, which was, again, now nostalgia reasons, personal Tom Bancroft nostalgia, uh, Trail Mix Up uh, years later, uh, I guess in 93 or 92 when we were working on it, somewhere in there, that was one of the first films I animated on. So, you know, fast forward, 
on Roller Coaster Rabbit, I was just a brand new animating assistant or assistant animator to Mark Ken. He would, he animated uh, a lot of Roger and Baby. He did probably half of that short. He's so fast. Um, and I would clean up his stuff. So I, I was doing cleanup, uh, assisting him. And then a while, a while later when we did Trail Mix Up, uh, by then I'd just become a brand new animator. So it was one of the very first, um, if not the first, uh, Disney film that I animated on fully. So, nice. Wow. Yeah. You got your stripes. Nice stuff, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, and Roger's a blast. It's so fun mm. to animate. I hate his voice, but I love animating. <laughs> so, does anybody like his voice? I mean, it's all the, I just annoy. That's true. As a kid, I didn't mind it. And then I watched it obviously again for this. And I was a bit like, yeah, you got to For whatever reason, like, I guess your memory kind of changes things as you like, from years ago because it had been years since I'd seen the movie again mm-hmm. and like hearing his voice I was like was that right did I remember that voice right I don't remember it being quite so high yeah um, right I was exactly the same there's yeah, a little... I remember enjoying it once yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was exactly the same there's a That's little funny. test short um that they did before they started production on it and it was the the scratch voice was like Paul Rubens you know Pee Wee Herman and mm-hmm. you think of people having mm-hmm. voice, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, similar to Roger Rabbit. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah I know Charles Fleischer thought that this was going to be his ticket. You know, I've, I've talked uh, to uh, Andreas Deja, who worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and he was actually one of the few from California uh, that kind of kind of got lent or loaned to uh, Richard Williams' studio. So he was in England working on uh, more than just the Toontown sequence, because just as a background, there was a rivalry between the the England studio and the California animation studio, and that at a certain point, uh, Richard Williams fell behind, and they they could not get Roger Rabbit done, and so because Disney was uh, going to distribute it and stuff, they said, "Well, you can use some of our animators," and so mm-hmm. they set up a little unit in California. Like I said, it was about must have been around the time Oliver and Company was either being worked on or just after it. So I think before Mermaid. Yeah, so before Mermaid and in that gap somewhere. And so they had a small group of California Disney guys that uh, and gals that worked on uh, Who, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but they were just doing the Toontown sequence. So all that was done in California. Pretty much the rest of the movie um, was done uh, in England. And so Andreas was one of the few that was in England doing uh stuff throughout the film um and so yeah he he said that he saw um uh charles uh, so he went to some of the filming because a lot of the filming the live action was done in in uh and uh, he went to the one in england and uh he went to the one uh, at the very end where jessica and roger are all tied up in that and they're about to get sprayed mm-hmm. by the the bat um by uh what's his name the bad guy <laughs> uh, doom doom that's right um, but that was one of the last things they shot. It was like, cause they were constantly making changes to the end of the film. And so a lot of the animators got, a, got invited to go to that and see it being shot. And he said it was really funny cause, uh, again, it was a very secret project. So he said, even some of the tech guys were guys that were working on the set, moving things around. And he said, he, Andreas and a few of the animators were sort of off to the side, of course, just watching. And that he overheard the two of them go, you know, one of the guys is like, what is going on today? What is it? Is this some kind of film? He's like, yeah, it's some kind of, the other guy's like some kind of film. And 
I guess there's going to be some Roger Rabbit character. This this and and what they were referring to was that. Um, Charles Fleischer was on the set that day and he dressed up like Roger Rabbit. He had a whole costume on and just to cut, cause he was so into it. And he had, and so he was running around doing the voice and, and, you know, that was all dubbed in later. So he really didn't have to be there, but I think he was, <laughs> he was just, again, so into it that he was there that day in the costume, running around doing the voice. And so these guys thought that that was what Roger was going to look like. And the other guy's like, yeah, it looks horrible. I can't imagine <laughs> that's going to be a major feature film. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I saw some videos of him, and he looks pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's not even trying to be, like, a real rabbit costume. Like, it's just him in a <laughs> big, like, overalls, and, like, it's just really weird looking. And the yeah, footage, he's really into it, though, isn't he? He's really, like, going for a performance, and he's not even... Well, I mean, Andreas said that he thought, uh, Charles thought that this was like his big ticket. You know, he was a (laughs) stand-up comedian and stuff. And he was just thinking, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing the voice for the next Mickey Mouse. This guy's going to be around forever. And I, you know, my, my career is set, you know? (laughs) So yeah. You got three more shorts. Yeah. 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 And then it's over. (laughs) Yeah. Poor guy. I, you know what? I, I got to say this. I cannot imagine that all the actors, the real actors on the set and the, and the production people working the boom things and all that, mm-hmm. that Charles Fleischer wasn't like the big joke of the set. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's true. Oh, he's got, this, he got the costume on. He seems yeah. so happy in the movies, he's too. Doing, he was he's just doing all, all, the, doing it. all the lines off screen when he really didn't need to, probably, and all that. No. I don't know. Oh, definitely no. not. Sorry. Sorry, Charles. Found out he did the voice of the cab as well, which surprised me because the the voice for the taxi cab is quite good. Oh yeah, um, completely yeah. different to Roger's voice. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. Pretty, it is very different. I mean, he's a very talented guy. I'm not. I'm. I'm being mean. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. So, just what we were saying. Roger has appeal anyway, so it's, that's that's his character, isn't it? That's the voice he's meant to have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel I felt like he did a good job. I mean the. I don't know. As a kid and growing up, I was like, like you said, at some point I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, right. it was in the line of, uh, you know, cause I don't know if you know this, but Roger Rabbit is really based on screwy squirrel. He's a, he's about 80% of him is screwy squirrel, which was a Tex Avery cartoon. Um, and I think there was only one or two screwy squirrels uh, shorts, but it was this squirrel character and a couple of these Tex Avery uh, Warner Brothers shorts. Um, and it was kind of a side character, but he was really crazy and, and obnoxious. And and he had an obnoxious voice, too. So, I mean, this Roger's kind of from that. Uh, mm-hmm. Roger's definitely a Tex Avery uh, character. He's not a Disney character by any means. He's a Warner Brothers Tex Avery. You see it in his takes that he does with all the, the eyeballs and stuff. So... Um, that's why they wanted a, a kind of an um, obnoxious, I think, voice too. Yeah, he's still appealing. I think he reminds me of Woody Woodpecker, obviously, where he has a bit of an yeah. annoying voice. Yeah, too. but you, you, good, you love him. You do. Yeah, it's a good analogy. Sure. In the chat, I had a couple people. Um, there's one Tony Bancroft. I don't know if there's any relation there. Uh, or anything. So <laughs> jealous. <laughs> he wants to know when is he going to talk about his brother. And also, what is Andreas's nickname? <laughs> yeah, so Andreas just visited uh, Nashville. I had him come out to, to my school, Lipscomb University, where I teach animation. And he came out and did a nice little workshop and lecture. And, 
And Tony did the same thing, just like that. He was like, he texted me. He's like, make sure when you got him on stage and stuff, you call him Andy. Because he really loves it when you call him Andy. And I'm like, I wrote him back. I'm like, wait, really? Because I haven't heard that a lot. He's like, yeah, he loves it. And so anyway, <laughs> I, I was doing sort of like one of these Instagram, Snapchat kind of things with him as Andreas was drawing. And I literally got it. I said, so Andy... Uh, I understand that's what you like to be called sometimes. And he turns around right in mid drawing. He's like, I hate that, you know. So, like, and he was he was goofing around. But he said that really the only people that called him Andy were uh, were when he first got to Disney, coming back um, from when he was young. Basically, uh, a lot of the old timers and stuff like that, they would call him Andy. And uh, so he said he didn't mind it because you know they were all people he looked up to and stuff. But he, I think that. That nickname has kind of dropped away, and he's kind of happy about it. I'm, I'm assuming so. Not a lot of people call him that. Um, but anyway, yeah. Hi, Tony. I'm, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I can't wait till you do this, so I can heckle you. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything other last minute things we can talk about for the shorts? One thing I thought was interesting is what it says that as their name they're made by. So, Tommy Trouble and Trail Mix Up are both stated as being made by Walt Disney Pictures and Amblin. Um, but Roller Coaster Rabbit was made by Touchstone and Amblin. So is that just where you're... Yeah. Like what, what, was there a difference at I, all? I, I don't think, think there would have been. I'm guessing, if I remember right, who framed Roger Rabbit when it came out? It was a Touchstone Pictures release. It was Touchstone right. and Amblin. And so, like I said, when Tommy Trouble came out, they probably still had Touchstone. But then years later, a few years later, uh, they got rid of that. I don't like Touchstone doesn't exist anymore. And I think they switched it over or something like that. It was some story to it in that um, they Touchstone Pictures was Disney's uh, film division to do more mature things. So right. they didn't want because before Touchstone, they, they it would every film live action or whatever, like Splash with Tom Hanks uh-huh. and stuff way back when. That was one of their very first live action films that did really well. And if I remember right, it was released as a Disney Pictures film. And well, that one was actually the first one to be oh, under Touchstone. Okay, thank you. All right. I remember that because I remember watching the background and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm wrong, but I'm completely right because right. that backs up what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I was off. But yeah, that, that so the reason that they wanted Touchstone was that for that reason is that they could put it on Splash, like you were saying. And uh-huh. and make it very clear that you know you're not going to be embarrassed as as adults going to this Disney film because before that it was only a, a it was a name that was only put on animated cartoons, feature films, mm-hmm. and so now they were breaking into live action and and uh, soon after that was like Beverly Hills. No, it wasn't Beverly Hills Cop, but anyway, that one with Bette Midler. Um, uh, and that was a big hit for them and stuff like that. And and uh, so anyway, that's what Touchstone was all about. So when they came out with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, again, they wanted to make sure they they released it as a, a Touchstone picture so that families didn't think that it was a kid's movie because it's definitely not. It's definitely not. And, but then when they went to, went back to start doing the shorts, they there was a real sort of like, what do we do with these? Because we're taking out a lot of the adult content. So you really could just screen these for kids. They are more like traditional 1940s cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first one, they just stuck with a touchstone because they just weren't sure. And they didn't, you know, they wanted it to feel like it was part of the who frame Roger rabbit universe. 
but by roller coaster and trail mix up, I'm sure they were like, no, these are cartoons that we can do just Disney. And and maybe, and I don't remember when touchstone went away at one point. I don't think that's still around. So anyway, that's, that's my version of that story. (laughs) That makes sense. So I feel like they, sorry, (laughs) I feel like they released them as, on when the title screen comes up, it says Arcane Room, like the fictitious character in the movie. Yeah. So when I watch them, it looks like they're still actors in these shorts, like Baby Herman. He'll walk off the set mm-hmm. and start talking, you know, like an old man. That's why I got the impression when I was watching them. Well, yeah, because at the end of all the shorts, if I remember right, because I remember it on Roller Coaster and Trail Mix Up, they, they break into the live action world. That's you know? right, yeah. And that, so you, you do get that sense. They want to kind of always bring it back to that, that the, they're acting on a set, a, a cartoon set, and that they're really in the real world. And so they kind of always mm-hmm. bring the gags back to that. Because um, I remember when I remember cleaning up uh, on Roller Coaster Rabbit, the scene where Roger just burst through the, through the wall and he's covered in film strips. He, he hit the camera and it exploded and all the film gets on Roger, but his feet are still on fire because he was doing the roller coaster thing barefoot. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, and Mark can animated it, but I had to clean it up. And it was just one of these really subtle things where he's got all this film strips and that had to be real. So that was live action. And, and then he kind of does this take and he kind of jumps up and he goes, ah! you know, but he says this really subtle kind of like, settle first before that where he's just like uh, and then he freaks out and i just remember how hard that was to not to have all these live action film strips kind of moving on top of him and then he had to sort of settle behind it and be super subtle animation uh where the the cleanup lines couldn't wobble so we had to redo it a couple times it was i just remember that being a nightmare and his feet are in the (laughs) foreground on fire and they had to be super subtle too so anyway it's just one of those things and cleanup that you got to nail it, you know, like the lines can't wiggle and stuff, especially once you get into the live action world, you notice it more. They, they mm-hmm. look, you don't want it to look like, you want them to look animated in that real world, but you want them to be solid within that real world, you know? And right. so wiggling lines and all this doesn't really look good <laughs> with uh, <laughs> live action props. So yeah, uh, the only other thing I could say about the shorts is it's really neat that um, because I don't know if it's one part because of the Florida studio or one part because they're shorts and it's kind of goes along with shorts is that you get small crews working on them, uh, that there's a lot of like inside gags and, and little hidden things in the, in the Mm -hmm. Roger shorts. And so, uh, at one point I was going to do a book called, um, uh, uh, hidden Disney and I pitched it to Hyperion at the time, Hyperion books. Um, and they, of course they would not let me do it, but I, I had a lot, I have a list of all the films and did feature films and shorts that has like hidden things in them. Um, that, why wouldn't they let you do it? Uh, well, Who wouldn't let you hear Hyperion or Hyperion wouldn't because, uh, and I thought, you know, well, look, and I was still employed. I was still an animator at Disney at the time. Uh, when I pitched it, I actually pitched it, I think right around the time I was animating on trail mix up, if I remember right. So it was around 93, I guess, or 92, um, and, and it was because they, that was so, uh, it was still fresh, uh, for Disney, uh, all the problems that they had with Little Mermaid and then Lion King with the, the gust of, you know, dust that supposedly said sex in the clouds and, right. um, and then the Little Mermaid with the phallic symbol on the cover. And anyway, there'd been a lot of news reports, uh, just a few years before that about all these sort of 
hidden things that are bad for your kids, you know, oh, uh, yeah. which most all of them don't exist or, or mm. are misinterpreted. Um, and I thought, well, I won't talk about those, obviously, but I'll talk about the ones that are innocent. And that's what I was, that was my pitch to them. They were still like, no, 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 we just can't address it at all. <laughs> we just, you know, we don't even want to admit to anything, you know, so. Oh, okay. That's a yeah. shame. That would have been amazing, though. That, that's yeah, cool. and now, and then the internet showed up, and, yeah. and now there's <laughs> web- websites that have done all that work for me, and it's, it, it's all out there. So. Tony Tony Bancroft says, "I want that list. It's the Schindler's list of Disney trivia." Yeah, yeah. Well, it's out, it's out there. I'm sure on, on websites throughout the world. I mean, there's hidden Mickey websites. I'm sure there's what's hidden in, in Disney animated film websites too. So that's awesome. Well, that was an awesome discussion about these shorts. Thank you. Yeah, for enlightening us. Now we're on to our main discussion as we talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now, just so you know, although the film's title is a question, no question mark appears in that title, as that is bad luck in the industry. Is that true? I've never heard that before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to say it, and it's going to be true from here on out. I've heard that a lot, too. But I was trying to think of movies with question marks that failed. There there has been, like, uh, What About Bob is one that pops in my head, and I think that Mm. did have a question mark on it. That was with Richard Dreyfuss. I don't know why I remember it. That didn't fail, though. That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, see, some people saw it. Anyway, all right, so the studio was Touchstone Pictures and Amblin Entertainment. Uh, The directors was Robert Zemeckis, and producers were Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, and Steven Spielberg. The release date was June 24th, 1988, and the budget at the time was $70 million. At the time of its release, it was the most expensive film produced in the 80s, and had the longest on-screen credits of the film. The I'm going to say that that is nothing compared to what they are doing yeah. today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was interesting. I looked it up. I was I was like, okay, if that was the you know the biggest thing at the time, I, what would it be in today's money? Inflation calculator put it at about 143 million dollars. Mm. But even then, I'm looking at like Tangled in 2010, which was over 200 million mm. um, for a budget. So I'm like, I really don't think. It's still not that big of a thing. Like, how much do you think it would have cost nowadays to make this movie? Oh yeah, I mean, it would it would be over two hundred. I'm sure. Um, I can't imagine, you know, because I think Zemeckis would take more money now. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and so would Frank Marshall, so would Kathleen Kennedy, and so would Steven Spielberg. So right, right yeah. there, right off the bat. The other thing that we should say is, that I don't think this film would ever get made now. And, and it's the, it's the whole reason we may talk about this later, but it's the whole reason we don't see Roger anymore too. There wasn't a Roger Rabbit too. Many people have asked why that never happened, um, and we can get into this deeper. But it's because touched because uh, it was Disney and Spielberg or Amblin co-own all those characters. Not not mm-hmm. necessarily the Warner Brother characters and the Disney characters that show up, but I, I'm talking about the original characters that were created: Jessica, Roger, uh, Baby Herman, uh, the Weasels. All those characters um, are co-owned by each company. And that was like a logistics nightmare, just making the shorts. Um, 
and and we're lucky that we have three shorts that were made after that film because eventually they just they wouldn't even talk to each other anymore you know and uh and it got to that point where they you know they they didn't care because they're like oh you know who's paying for it they have do they split the money to pay for each short you know same with the feature you know i don't know how they finance that if they all both put in half or or how that worked but it you know it's just a logistics nightmare uh with companies that don't really that are really in co- competition with each other right well and also amblin doesn't exist anymore so well yeah i mean there's that there's that issue <laughs> yeah and but- i mean i'm sure the rights are still owned by i i mean i'm sure steven spielberg is just like still no um so it would have to be like in conglomeration with yeah like like dreamworks or yeah. something yeah, I don't. I don't know if those rights are still with Spielberg or if somebody bought Amblin and they own the rights now. And again, that's just more more of the confusion and, and lawyer fees that would go into making a, right. a, a sequel. So it's a shame because I would love more merchandise. I think I think Jessica Rabbit could have sold a lot. Like um, I, there was a few things at Disneyland Paris. Actually, there's a few Jessica Rabbit figures and posters and things like that. But it did got me thinking, if it was just purely owned by someone like Disney, I think there'd be way more merchandise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and actually, MJ, I'm glad you brought that up, because I wasn't talking about merchandising. I was just talking about the films and the shorts. Mm. But but that's a good point, because if I remember right, that was one of the rumors I heard was that the merchandising of the Roger Rabbit characters is what really killed any hopes of future films and stuff, because... Uh, from what I remember, Disney somehow got it in their contract that they owned the rights to the merchandising, that Amblin didn't get any piece or they got much less of the mm-hmm. merchandising. And so when that stuff, they started, and they didn't do a lot, but they started doing some merchandising. I think that Spielberg and them kind of shut a lot of that down because they're like either weren't getting much of it or any of it. And so they were not big on there being any merchandising because of that. Interesting. Well, it also said that there are about 326 animators that worked full-time on this film. Is that like a normal size well, for that, that's like it, a feature film? That's sort of, uh, we'll call that internet uh, terminology. Be- okay. It's not really accurate in that, yeah, there were probably 325 artists that worked on it full-time. I could believe okay. that number. Um, uh, and even that's probably pretty high. But again, there was like one and a half studios basically working on it. If you count the, the England one and, and then the, the smaller California studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is inaccurate is the term animators uh, is that not all those people were animators. There were uh, some, a lot of them were cleanup artists. A lot of them were effects artists. A lot of them were. So if you, it just depends on who you count. Um, so my assumption is that animators, it could, it was probably as small as, I don't know, 20, 25 animators. Um, mm-hmm. but cleanup people would be a, a, a small army behind that. Um, because it takes a lot more cleanup people to clean up all that animation doing the keys and the in-betweens. It's a lot slower process. Um, and then you have all the effects people and there was a, a ton of effects, uh, hand-drawn special effects that were done for Roger Rabbit. So that would be a, a pretty big team. And then all the cleanup people that go with that, cause some are, you know, some are animators, some are cleanup people. So yeah, I'd say... I'd say that's fairly accurate, the number, but again, it entails a lot more. And that could even involve production people too, you know, productions assistants and, and uh, you know, people that are, are not actually drawing on the film, but are actually production people. So 
that would be about right, I would guess, if you count a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, all in all, it did pretty well. It was like number f- the fourth highest grossing uh, mm-hmm. film of 1988. So at about $156 million brought in, which at the time, mm-hmm. not bad. That makes me yeah. happy. I'm glad yeah. it did well. I am too. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I'm glad it made money. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why we sell shorts. I guess they wanted to keep it alive for a reason for, for a while there anyway. Yeah, so. for sure. I mean, it also did great as far as awards go. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. um, let me get the official list here. So basically it was nominated for four, um, for four Oscars or no nominated for six. And it won three for sound editing, visual effects and editing in general. Mm-hmm. So Yay. And yeah. then we all, I'm, if you, I don't know if you've seen the clip of, of when, um, Richard Williams gets up and he accepts his Oscar yeah, for now he got an, part. yeah, he got an honorary, uh, Academy award if I remember right. Uh, cause it wasn't a best animated film category at the time. Really? Uh, yeah. So just like Waltz way back when got an honorary Academy award for Snow White, um, uh-huh. And remember, you've seen pictures. He has the Academy Award in like seven little ones. You know, it's so oh, cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Shirley Temple. <laughs> so that was an honorary. Yeah, and Shirley Temple gave it to him. That was an honorary one. They did the same with Richard Williams. Um, yeah, if I remember right, uh, so that he got an. Uh, you know, he got some kudos for how because Hollywood just died with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They didn't. They didn't see it coming. They they never thought it would be a huge as huge a hit as it was. Um, and they certainly didn't think that anybody could really pull it off to that level, you know, and a lot of that goes to Richard uh, Zemeckis. I mean, Robert Zemeckis, sorry. Um, I think he, he deserves a lot of credit because he was just, he was just going, no, we're just going to do this. We're going to, but nobody had done, I mean, like, this is really the very first huge special effects film. If you really think about it, um, Mm -hmm. like what we see nowadays all the time with Avengers and stuff, but no computers, you know, it's all done by hand. And so it's, it's crazy to think that, um, you know, there'd been little things, little shorts and films and stuff that had, I mean, the incredible Mr. Limpet, right. That's a live action with, with 2d animation film, Mary Poppins, you know, has elements of it, but this was sort of, this was taking it so much further where the camera, and here's the biggest reason Zemeckis said, I don't want the camera to be locked down. Um, Mm -hmm. in Mary Poppins, every other film that had animation and live action actors together, they would lock down the camera, meaning it literally, they'd lock it so it could not move. And, and what you get then is, is live action shots that are rock steady. Um, with Roger Rabbit, he said, no, I want the the camera to be moving all the time. And so what you end up getting is these plates that the animators then they would, you know, make make photo plates of every frame. And that peg them, and then they put it on their disc, you know, like my animation disc right here, and um, and then put a piece of paper over it and add Roger next to whoever he's supposed to be talking to, one paper at a time, one frame at a time, and and then they composite it later. Well, with the moving camera, now all of a sudden you got um, you got ground planes that are changing in perspective and moving instead of locked and flat shots that you'd always seen before that in the forties and fifties. And so because of that, you have a lot more dynamic film. You have this Mm -hmm. film that basically Robert Zemeckis just made the movie he wanted to make animation or not. And, 
and then you have props and things like that. There's real actual props, you know, that Roger has to interact with and things like that, or the weasels, like the guns and stuff that are on cables and stuff. So it's very complicated live action sh shots too, or shooting. And then on top of that, then the animators get thrown all the footage later and they have to like try and make it look like Roger's not roller skating all the time when he's walking or because he's got to, they got to find little spots on the ground, literally a rock or something like that will help lock down where Roger's foot goes because now I know where that rock is. Look, see the rock's moving. Okay, so now I know that the ground plane is moving subtly, one frame at a time. I mean, it's 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 kind of incredible that they pulled it off as well as they did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just going back as far as like, I mean, Star Wars did have quite a bit of you know all this special effects, but even then, Industrial Light and Magic said that they only had to work on it like maybe three minutes of the film, and this one was like fifty five minutes. Yeah, to be able to put everything together, so it was just like there's nothing compared to this. Mm. Yeah. And that's why it cost so much. That's why it took so yeah. long. That's why it, it did have a, a bigger group of artists that worked on it than your average Disney feature film at the time, mm -hmm. you know. Well, you know what's great when you're watching it? It's just so seamless. Like, my brain isn't thinking of, oh, that technical effect, that, you know. The, the mm -hmm. octopus that's got all the live-action bottles and things, or the weasels holding real guns. My brain isn't going, oh, that's a live-action gun, that's an animated weasel. It's <laughs> seamless together. It's amazing. Uh-huh. I agree. Yeah. You know, I one other thing that I really liked about this film is that it wasn't even just the um just the the visuals that really brought it home. I mean that definitely it did. It was just out of this world. Nothing had ever been done like it. But it was also it felt so organic in the way that they pushed everything together. I love the fact that it was in the forties yeah. because one, I just love the forties. I think it's such a classy era. Yeah. Um and then also it was just kind of it just those two things just kind of fit and it it made it come to life in that and just with that i think yeah i agree and 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 then doing the same research for the animated side of it you know making the characters drawn in a way that looked like they're from a Tex Avery 40s cartoon. Mm -hmm. I mean, they did their research, how they colored it, how they just did like you know, a tone for shadows rather than especially in the animated version, there's two different Rogers, basically the animated version where he's in the animated world where he just has tones that are like a darker color of his skin or, you know, his, uh -huh. his fur or his, uh, and we had to do that in the, in the rollercoaster rabbit and trail mix up, but they're very simple. They, they kept it simple. It's like one darker tone underneath. It's sort of a, a little bit of a shadow. Uh, but then when he's in the live action world, of course, then they do full on rendered tones that the effects animators would animate. Um, and it would look, you know, like he has shadows and things like that on the ground and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, they kept asking, like, how 3D do we make this? Mm. Which I just thought was super awesome. That's yeah. True. They always look like they're there. I think with uh, Jessica Roberts' shivering um, dress as well, that particularly helped. I remember watching that interaction, though, with the actors, um, Bob Hoskins in particular, I think, with the eyeline. They talked about how they need to get the eyeline just perfect. That all helps. Yeah, they they had a uh, an actual Roger, and I'll give you a little trivia here. They had a they had an actual Roger um, stand-in um, that they would use for a lot of the shots, and they would they would rehearse the shot first before they I think even started filming, um, and they would have the Roger there, so it was like a big kind of like puppet life size, you know, for what he would be in that world, um, 
and they would have that there so that uh, Eddie Valiant, what's his name, the actor, I can't remember now, Ed. Oh, Bob Hoskins. Bob's Hoskins. Bob, Bob Hoskins. Thank you. Uh, so that he would know, okay, this is where I need to look. And he could act out the scene and hit, get the pacing and everybody in the in the environment could know where Roger's supposed to be. And then he's going to go over here on the bar and, and he'll end up here. You know, so you always know kind of where to look and how big he's supposed to be. You know, they needed to be able to visualize that. Then they would take it out and reshoot, you know, actually, ha you know, having action and, and having the film going. And and they would it would give them a better understanding. And Bob Hoskins was really good at it. I mean, like he could really make it feel like he's looking here, you know, five feet in front of him, not way back over there. You know, like he could actually mm -hmm. kind of. And that it's a subtle thing, but how you train your gaze to look at something that's not there but feels like it's there, only three feet from your face, rather than same looking in the same spot, but it's fifteen feet away is different. I mean, your gaze is a slightly different um, and uh, mm -hmm. he really nailed it really well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did. I was thinking of all things to think about <laughs> this, the live action Scooby-Doo with the CG Scooby and the actors are looking right past, like through Scooby. And I yeah. thought, yeah, with Roger, everyone's looking at Roger like he's there. It's really good. He put some work in it. And, and again, I think that's a kudos to, uh, you know, Robert Zemeckis. You know, I think he was, mm -hmm. He was really thinking about these things on the on the uh, in the live action shoot, and and a lot of that. That's a director that I mean, he he grew up watching cartoons. He he really wanted this to. He was his mandate, I think, to himself was I really want to make it feel as much as possible like these animated characters are living in this world, and so he thought about every little nuance, and so does Spielberg. Mm -hmm. We don't want to run out of time to go over like our different pl favorite. Um, yeah spots in this movie so i want to go out as far as like in the first oh uh the first 20 minutes of the film what are what are some of our favorite things that kind of jump out at us for me i love the part when i mean we already talked about the opening short and then when it kind of goes over into the real world i love how when when eddie comes in and like he goes up into the office of um maroon studios and he's just like you got I just love the interaction between him and the owner of Maroon Studios because they're just, I just feel like that's so <laughs> real yeah. in a way. I was like, that's so cool. And then he like opens up the window. That's, this is the thing that I always remember. He opens up the window and you've got Dumbo and he's just like, they work for me. <laughs> yeah. like, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's, and he's, they make that kind of, uh, subtle, you know, reference that he's on loan, you know, yeah. right. from another <laughs> yeah. studio. And I thought that was kind of a neat thing. It's, yeah. it's all those little things that it, it just really brings you into that world. They had all those little references. And, and of course, seeing all these characters, just then you go to a sidewalk scene and you see other animated characters. You're like, oh, that's Coco the Clown. And, you know, uh -huh. these old characters from the 40s and stuff that, you know, and Betty Boop, of course, shows up um, later on in the bar. And, and that it just cements this world of like, wow, what would it be like if, recognizable tune characters really were in this you know live action world and they kind right. of kind of were stars but kind of not yeah it, <laughs> Second it blew rate. my mind as a kid i remember obviously you've got mickey and bugs in the same shot as well and at one point and that just like blew, blew my head <laughs> completely and i thought oh okay so that makes sense they're actors and they live in toontown just like like we do as people so i believed it all i really did 
Yeah, I thought, I thought it was neat. Even the props are like, they treat them like animals almost, you know, like, yeah. what, what was it? The box that breaks and all the little, I, I can't remember if they're little shoes that the are shoes. running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the poor uh, shoe that goes in the dip, that was horrifying. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and then um, what was funny is, okay, so Bob Hoskins, he says that for two weeks after seeing the movie, his young son wouldn't talk to him. And when he finally asked why, he said his son couldn't believe that his father would work with these cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny and not let him meet them. I, was like, <laughs> awesome. I, I just I just think it's incredible that he waited two weeks to ask his son why he wasn't right. talking to him. Why aren't you talking like, to me? Worst dad ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. That's the that's the late Bob Hoskins, by the way. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. That yeah. made me so sad. Mm-hmm. I always remember him from this movie and then also from Hook. Hook I thought he was Hulk. the best me ever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was good. I yeah, thought he... I thought he was American. I don't I thought his accent No, well, he's... you tell me if his accent was good in Roger Robert. Yeah. I, I found out he's later. He's a bloke. Yeah. Mm. Just like you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call her a bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means really. Thought it was a term of endearment. It's not endearing, I guess. Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll be a bloke. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about the Ink and Paint Club? That Good was day. awesome. Uh, I do remember, I just, again, I just saw Andres Deja and he was talking about Roger Rabbit and uh, he said that he did that gorilla that answers the door. Oh, wow. Oh, so yeah. That was his. And I remember never really liking that scene where the gorilla throws Bob Hoskins out because it looks uh-huh. like he's on some kind of a rope mm. or, you know, right, right. kind of has this weird swing to it and then he throws him and yeah, so that scene never <laughs> really, and he, when he throws him he looks like he's like slowly flying, you know, <laughs> Thro- throws on, yeah, on cables n- never work. Um, they're always just too slow because they yeah. don't want to hurt the actor, you know. Well, yeah, and it's also on a different, like arc. Yeah, on a different arc. I would expect him not to be going like this, but be, I don't know, have a little bit more of a... Yeah. It just doesn't quite get there, but it's still good. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it you know, that's the bar sequence is great, and Betty Boop showing up, and and then, of course, the dueling... Uh, the dueling... Dueling uh, pianos. Yeah. It was weird to me seeing Daffy with the long kind of hair. Like, they, they went all the way back to the original Daffy, you know, like uh-huh. the very first version of him. Like, oh, he looks really... Yeah, he looks really weird. And I kind of, I never wondered, I kind of thought, you know, maybe they should have cheated that and gone with the the Daffy that we kind of knew later Mm -hmm. on. But it was like the very first Daffy, you know, and so he looks a little different in in, uh, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, that was great. It was a good sequence. Is that the same thing? I remember reading Mickey and Bugs had to have the same screen time in the same shots together. I imagine then um, Daffy and yeah, yeah. I wonder, yeah, Daffy and <laughs> Donald. Donald, that's it, yeah. Because they, yeah. they, were, they were really having a go at each other, like throwing one inside the piano. I wondered if there was arguments about that as well. Well, you can't beat up our Donald, you can't beat up our Daffy like that. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, they did it pretty good in the shorts. You know, Donald would always get beat up and Daffy would get true. beat up. So maybe that was kind of <laughs> part of the goes with the character a little bit. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I, again, when I was a kid, again, just out of high school, seeing Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when that when they did the dueling pianos with Daffy and Donald, because that was really, if I remember right, that was the first time you really saw the Warner Brothers and Disney characters really interacting, was that mm. dueling pianos part. And I just remember just, 
you know, like a big smile on my face and I didn't want it to end. You know, I just thought it was the neatest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was a geek. (laughs) Well, as a kid, I remember, like you said, the best thing was seeing the characters you know and love. Uh, I I saw Snow White at the end and I kind of geeked out a little. Mm -hmm. This film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it's a whole lot more Warner Brothers than it is Disney. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. feels like it's 80%, you know, Warner Brothers and only about 20% Disney, um, yeah. which again, I didn't expect. I kind of thought there'd be a lot of Disney references and it was a nice, it was a nice kind of thing, I thought. Um, but there's some really great character development there. And, and of course, then we meet Jessica Rabbit. And mm. uh, I just remember thinking when I saw Jessica Rabbit for the first time, I was like, I have never seen, I, I couldn't believe <laughs> that they were doing it. I really couldn't. I mean, like, Oh my gosh. I've oh, like, yeah. that was the first time I, in the film. I really felt for sure. Oh, this is an adult film. This is not for yeah. kids. I thought <laughs> so. she shows up. This is yeah. not for right. kids. Yeah. William, um, Richard Williams said, don't do, um, in animation, what you can do on camera. So the exaggeration of her curves is only something that you can achieve in an animation. Yeah. Really, <laughs> yeah. It does yeah. work. Although she'd completely fall over <laughs> if she was real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would imagine. Oh, there's <laughs> been a lot of cosplayers that have tried it mm. ever since then. Yeah. And they, some of them pull it off quite nicely. She's helped others make money. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I also really liked the penguins yes. that they had. I thought he was... Mary that Poppins. was always really Mary fun Poppins. to get to be like, oh, that's from Mary Poppins. Which someone said Mary Poppins obviously wasn't released because that's set in the 40s and Mary Poppins was released later. So it's like, oh, the penguins are just working till they get a job later in a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, because they, they were in the bar, right? They were waiters. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. My favorite line, I think, the the scotch on the rocks. I mean ice. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never <laughs> got that as a kid. Me too. I was so naive. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> my other favorite time was a little bit later on where you have roger who comes in and he is trying to get help from eddie and so then you have doom coming in and he's trying to get like some reaction as far as like let's try to find him and so that's when he pulls out the shave and the haircut and then that has to be the thing Mm -hmm. that no tune can resist (laughs) ever (laughs) I know. I thought that was a, like, I didn't get it at the time, I guess, when I first saw it, you know, I mean, I've heard that song, I guess, but like kids today for sure would not get that. Oh, like, no. Kids would not get that reference at all. I'm not even sure if they would and, sing it uh, anymore. Yeah. I guess the idea just being, it's one of those irresistible old songs that you can't, you know, you got to throw in that, that line, but it was a clever way to do that. Yeah. If someone is knocking that, you do want to like knock back. <laughs> you do that. It yeah. works. <laughs> You know, it's really smart, and I wonder if this was Spielberg or Zemeckis, I guess, but in the original script version, um, that they really set up Bob Hoskins, uh, or Eddie, as having this backstory. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's it that makes it a, feel like a real noir kind of a film, too, but um, it really lends itself to having a, little, a lot more depth of, to his character, but to the film in general, oh yeah, it, it's really a pretty. It has a, a really good story when you think about sort of that they imply all this backstory with him and the and the girl. I can't remember her name at the at the at the bar that they obviously used to date, and um, and then he had a brother that got killed, and that he used to love tunes, you know, mm-hmm. and now he hates them. Um, 
all that backstory now he's like an alcoholic and stuff basically and he's this washed up guy that because of that one thing and then it was doom probably right that that's right killing, yeah. Yeah. ultimately that killed his his brother so mm-hmm. he's getting revenge i mean all that is just makes for a great you know story with a lot of depth oh yeah Doesn't that was that was probably one of my other favorite things about this is the screenplay was so well mm-hmm. thought out and you just I, there's a part where he was he used to be mm-hmm. part of the circus and he and his yeah. brother were such good friends and then it just all went went out the window when he, his brother died. Yeah, and his girlfriend mentions that, that he used to be a lot of fun. Right, you know? yeah. Uh, you know, that he was a funny guy at mm-hmm. one point, you know. And then you kind of see that at the end, right? They bring yeah. it back at the end where he does a little stand-up comic thing to try and kill mm-hmm. off the, the weasels. <laughs> right. You know, you get to see the humorous side that he used to have. Yeah, I felt like that was very well done. Yeah. I love how his character does come full circle because he does ultimately save Toontown at the end. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, of... there's a whole... There's That's layers. A... <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's neat, too, that we were talking about the depth of the film, but even on the, mm. on the Toontown side, you know, that a guy like Roger gets a girl like Jessica. Like, <laughs> you don't see it coming, yes. you know? No, yeah. you don't. Yeah. I think that's the and cool then, thing about uh, Jessica is she she wasn't just well she was obviously stunning but she had a role and she loved Roger mm-hmm. and she and she loved him I love this line because uh, he makes a laugh I thought that's true yeah I can believe that yeah <laughs> I can right, believe that too right mm-hmm. oh, that's what the girls say none of us guys believe it but yeah <laughs> girls, girls say it all the time as like their number one thing that they like about a guy or mm-hmm. yeah and all the guys they say it to are like I'm funny. Why don't you like me? That's <laughs> uh, true. Anyway. It's, like, it's like the message of the film as well. Doesn't Roger say something about sometimes laughter is the only weapon we have? And I love that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And it, and it validates Toontown, you know, because all through the movie, mm. they're making a, this kind of ghetto, this this second class world, you know, mm. that no, no respectable human would really go in there. Um, and uh, and they kind of validated at the end and say, well, no, this is why, you know, why we need tunes, you know, because they, they set it up at the beginning. They work for peanuts, right? They, yeah. That yeah. these are second rate actors and yeah. stuff in, in Hollywood. They're not. And I, and I love that, too, because even as we we're making Roger and then me later, the shorts, uh, you know, animators have always felt like second rate you know in the hall in the world of oh, hollywood yeah. you know mm. because there's so many of us that have to make a movie and all that and mm. before lion king you guys don't know that world <laughs> but <laughs> before lion king you know all of us animators felt like second rate like why aren't people you know going to our movies in big numbers and blah, blah you know right. we work so hard on these films and they kind of come yeah. out and go away you know oh, and yeah. have a limited shelf life and kids liked them but adults would look down on them you know, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. still do to some degree. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, so there's a lot of commentary there um, sort of throughout the film. There's a lot of really subtle commentary going on that I think is really interesting um, that you don't you don't pick up the first time you see wow. it. You kind of pick yeah. it up more the second and third time. I think. Yeah. yeah. You can definitely put a lot of different options in there, too. That's interesting. From from your point of view, obviously, that's something that you can pick up on watching the film that I want to thought of. But I think that's because in, in the Rotoscopers and the fandom, we're all such big animation fans that we seek out this information. But I know exactly yeah. what you mean about, I don't know, 
the average Joe or, or adults taking their kids to animation don't appreciate the, the, the you know all the people behind it. Like, believe me, I just saw Moana by myself, right? Mm. My kids were all busy. They didn't want to go. I have cheerleader daughters, so they're, yeah. they're not in animation at all. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, a couple of them would have come, but they had cheer practice and stuff. Anyway, mm. I, I'm here I am at my age. Like, I look like this creepy old man <laughs> watching Moana by myself with a bunch of families and kids, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that, that mystique is definitely yes. still around, you know? Yes. It, it I know what you mean. You shouldn't have no. You shouldn't feel like that. I, I thought myself when I'm older, I'm still going to be seeing these Disney movies for as long as I live. So why look weird sitting, you know, just just myself watching the latest Disney princess movie or whatever? <laughs> yeah, and clapping. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and laughing yeah. loudest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know, young at heart, right? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's a lot of depth to it as far mm. as the film noir side and, and, and even the historical ones, too, because we didn't talk about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, like the red line, you know, the, mm. the trolleys that were everywhere. You oh, know, like yes. That, yeah. uh, you know, you're from England, so maybe you don't know this, but they they did have those trolleys all through the 40s, all through L.A., right? Yeah. And yeah. those disappeared soon after that. And and so they even made that sort of historical reference to in this in the story too, where they say, right, "Remember yeah. the whole thing that Doctor Doctor Doom." I'm going to call him Doctor Doom. Yeah, I'm <laughs> mistaken. Uh, uh, Judge Doom. Yeah, you're close. Judge Doom. Uh, that Judge Doom is trying to do is to make money off the freeway system, and they're yeah. going to say, "Yeah, they're doing away with the red line trolley system, and these freeways are going to take over, and and now we're going to have what was he going to do? Like car parts or?" tire stores and stuff like that yeah. he's going to make money off of all these quickie stops i guess for for the motorists and stuff yeah and i think that's really cool because as an adult especially looking back and going that was a historical moment in time that they're reflecting on too because yeah we did have these trolleys that then went away and they really did kind of go away because of the of cars everybody having their own car and now we have freeway systems and stuff like that and, and it has now led to California having the worst, uh, you know, the worst um, uh, traffic in the world. Mm. Um, they need to bring the trolleys back uh, mm. because everybody got their own car and they didn't want to wait for a trolley. They didn't want to wait. They now had freeways and they can go wherever yeah. they wanted to go when they wanted to go. And that led to, of course, the traffic they have now. But uh, but anyway, there's even that subtle level of sort of historical reference uh, in California at the time. You know, it's really funny how... Um, Bob Hoskins really had to do a lot of acting on green screen. And he said that after doing this for six, six months, 16 hours a day, I kind of like lost, lost it. And I was like having all these hallucinations of rabbits and weasels kind of like, like following me around. Does that happen to you as like an animator? Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you do kind of, and I'll use Mushu as a, just a name drop Mushu. But when I was, uh, animating Mushu in Mulan, uh, one, I would hear Eddie Murphy's voice I was all the time, that, right? Uh, it's not like I'd go home and my wife all of a sudden <laughs> sounded like Eddie Murphy or anything, but but you get so into that uh, that moment of whatever scene you're animating at that moment on your desk, and so I would I would go to bed thinking about it, trying to act it out of my head, and re- be re- you know rewinding the 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 audio in my head 
you know, and so because you do want to come back to work and go, oh, I got a brand new idea. And, and I've heard Frank and Ollie in their documentary, they say the same thing. They go home and they would discuss scenes and come up with new ideas and then go back to work all energized and and kind of throw out everything they did the day before and restart over. And, you know, there's a little bit of that that you it just it lives with you because you you get kind of obsessed with that whatever's on your desk at that moment. So mm. it's similar. I think Bob Hoskins was just a little crazy, though. <laughs> sure. That was probably it. Now, you know what we didn't talk about, Chelsea? Okay. I, I'm i not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Mm. Best line ever. It, you yeah. have any notes here. Oh, my here. gosh. Yes. What is that? Voted number 83 of the top 100 lines in Premier Magazine in 2007. Honestly, uh, it's one of my top. And, and, yeah, I think it is probably one of the most quoted uh, lines probably ever. I kind of say that sometimes to myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really? No. <laughs> There's a lot of ego that went into that. Wow. I obviously don't. But I mean, it, it has crossed my mind a couple times. It's like, that would be really funny right here <laughs> in life. Yeah, sure. Guys can't use it. It works for girls. But yeah. If I say it, it just sounds weird. You know. You know. Tony's always saying it. Yeah. I'll just say, Tony, you are bad. <laughs> Awesome. So it's really interesting around about this time, you know, it's, you've passed through the whole movie and we're finally getting to the part where it's like the big reveal and you've got Dr. Doom and he's like telling his story is, is we've got him monologuing out there and, mm-hmm. and it's just, I kind of felt like this is part where it kind of just got long. Like it just kind of could have stopped a, like five minutes, maybe prior. You know, I, I always thought it was weird that, uh, and this just goes back to the story, the live act, the script, that that was a big reveal that Doom was the bad guy. It's like, the moment you saw him, you're like, he's the I'm bad guy. Right. Is that a big secret? Exactly. <laughs> right? That's what I thought. Did anyone I mean, notice that, that his, like, cape blew all the time? Like, it was, like, blowing in the wind. I mean, it's like, like forever, <laughs> forever blowing. Somebody turn the wind machine off. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone now, find Now, it him? is a surprise, I guess, that he's an yeah. animated character yeah. dressed as a human, right? That's true. That's... That was the big reveal, which was just weird. Was, mm. I, I thought the ending was very weird. I, I'm going to go down and just say, <laughs> who framed Roger Rabbit? I'm yeah. not sure about the ending. I'll agree. I don't know. Well, he had a creepy voice, too. Yeah. yeah. When I yeah. Really yeah. What tune? Luck. Yeah. <laughs> what was really funny if you're looking at some of the older scripts they actually wanted it to be like this also big reveal that he was also the killer of bambi's mom doom was yeah <laughs> they had several different <laughs> oh scripts gosh. going through and, and i guess was it disney that took that out i assume I'm sure, yeah <laughs> Yeah, they probably cut that out because, you know, that, that, that ending, like I said earlier, was like the very last stuff that they animated and it's huge crowd scenes. It was oh, yeah. like they were staying up all night trying to finish all those crowd scenes at the end. And and, uh, and it's it's not some of the best animation, you know, too, for that reason. Oh, really? um, I didn't but, even really uh, <laughs> you know, like I bet they were like, oh, we're not animating Bambi. Forget it. <laughs> no, we got to cut that whole gag out that he killed Bambi's mom because I'm not going to do a quadruped. Right now. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> oh my gosh, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, because also you had the the you know you had the the fight with the sword, the singing sword, and then the the holes that he's throwing, and there's the dip, and then there's the yeah. It's like there's like five endings, 
And and then they got to sing a song at the end. <laughs> smile, darn you, smile. Horrible song. I don't know. I'm not big big on that song at all. Uh, I don't know why, why they had to do that. I don't know. But uh, apparently they had all of the all of the animators singing that song in their best cartoon voices. Yeah. And it's funny because I've seen cells of that cat, that big pan at the end where you, you start with Mickey and you go down all these characters and they go for a ton of money because it's got all of these Disney and, uh-huh. and uh, I don't know if you've seen those on the aftermarket, but uh, I think I remember looking that up. Crazy. They're not great animation, you know, but uh, because again, they, they were just trying to get it done at that point. And now they had all these characters, uh, and 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 I think Disney and Amblin and all the, and Warner Bros. They all had to approve a lot of those shots too, if I remember right, uh, to make sure that they were on model and that they kind of were okay with it. And so that probably even slowed down the process even oh, more sure. at the end because you had so many characters all together. Well, all right. So I think that we've covered most of the the main parts of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a couple of voicemails that I wanted to share with you guys. First off, we had one voicemail that came from one of our Rota writers. And he asked me a specific question as far as um, a book that he read from Steve Hickner, who was one of the animation producers on here. And because I had no idea how to answer him, I just reached out to Steve and I was like, hey, um, can you answer this? <laughs> and so he was super nice. And he sent this email or this uh, voicemail back in reply. So I wanted to play this for you now. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Steve Hickner. And I'm answering one of the questions that one of the Rotoscope readers wrote in. He, he writes, I'm also interested in the friction between the London animators and the Disney California animators and also about the adventures and the licensing all the different characters. Well, to answer the first question, it was less friction than um, not quite understanding what Dick Williams, the animation director, had in mind. He always envisioned Roger Rabbit as being made by a second-rate studio, like Terry Toons, not Disney and not Warner Brothers. So he was second-rate. And the Disney animators, naturally, with their classical training started drawing Roger as as they would have been designed by say um, you know Freddie Moore which wasn't at all what Dick wanted because Freddie Moore was a brilliant animator and a genius and a great designer he didn't want that so what would happen is there would be the treatment of the the uh, animators that were in uh, stationed in Los Angeles would draw the character frankly too well in that in the Disney classical way and Dick was always trying to get him to pull it back and draw it more like it had been in the Terry tunes which was always his design of the character in regards to the licensing the problem with the licensing was uh, some of the studios wanted too much for their characters and that's why we never got Popeye in Roger Rabbit although Bob Mex very much wanted to have him in there hmm. and we had trouble getting some of the Warner Brothers ones for the same reason because they were very expensive but towards the end of production Steven Spielberg called Warner Brothers and said look this is a great opportunity for you don't let this be another M&M's with E.T., an opportunity for you to put your product in there that's a big hit and nobody, and somebody else's stuff gets seen and not yours. And uh, Warner Brothers then, when they saw the movie, understood that and they opened the floodgates and we had access to all the Warner Brothers characters that we could possibly want. 
Thank you, Steve. That was really a good story. That was really Steve Hitner, everybody. That was just what you were saying about um, Roger Rabbit just seeming more less Disney and more classic cartoons, more of us and that yeah, kind of thing. I will say that um, that that it's interesting that Steve Hickner said that, what did he say? He made reference that they were trying to do more of a Terry Toons style. I think mm-hmm. that's what he said. Um, I'm surprised he said that because I, I could see that being more of a Warner Brothers style. They definitely were trying to bring back that sort of Tex Avery animation era of, at Warner Brothers. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't get the really the Terry Toons uh, connection with the animation style, but I do agree. I, it was, it was ironic that the Disney animators were sort of like second class in a way because they were just, mm. they were, they were thinking too structurally and that mm. anatomically, and they weren't doing the really cartoony stuff as well, mm. I think, and probably drawing too well. All right. Now we have another voicemail. This was actually came to us via Twitter, uh, as a video and I'm not able to show the video. Uh, because this is audio, but <laughs> this is going to be from Sydney. Sydney, she called in uh, last episode, but it ended up getting cut short. So here is Sydney talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What's up, Rotoscopers? It's Sydney here. I'm making this video just in case that voicemail doesn't work because I don't really think it is. But you guys are talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And this is probably one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid. I remember watching it for the first time when it was on Netflix. And I don't think it's ever left Netflix. I remember watching it like just a couple times when I was feeling nostalgic. Uh, and I, I just remember watching it with my parents and absolutely loving the fact that these actors were acting with cartoons and seeing all my favorite cartoon characters with these amazing actors and the fact that it was set in this old-time detective type movie was just, oh, it's so good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what to say about this. I just love it so much. I can't even imagine what the actors were feeling when they were told that they had to act, but they weren't gonna be really acting like that must have been the most difficult acting job of their careers i'm just gonna put that out there i think i would have the most difficult time acting with something that wasn't there especially like i don't even know if they actually heard the voice actors on set because i know they do that with doctor who they'll have the voice of the daleks be there so that the actors can understand what the daleks are saying but i just think that is the coolest thing ever and that whole surprise ending where the guy's like no i'm t- 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 the tune that killed your brother that was like the no luke i am your father of my childhood <laughs> um, Anyways, I I love this movie. I don't think I have anything bad about it. I gotta say, it's a solid four out of five for me. I'm definitely a big fan of Roger Rabbit, especially I loved waiting in the line for it at Disneyland. It was fantastic. So I hope you guys also really enjoyed this movie, and I hope that you guys can listen to this, uh, and I will talk to you guys later. Bye, Rotoscopers! Bye! That was great! Hello, Rotoscopers. It's me, Man again. I'll have to keep this voicemail short because my identity is being compromised. But Roger Rabbit, incredible film, classic, probably the first, like, almost Avengers of cartoons. I mean, what other film can you see Daffy Duck and Mickey Mouse in the same frame? I mean, it's amazing. The jokes are so funny and clever. And it's pretty amazing that they're able to pull off, like, this live-action and 2D animation blend. I mean, I cannot imagine how hard it must have been 
you have to go frame, frame by frame for each of the, the whole film to like figure out how to move these characters, how to make them look like right and stuff. Anyway, I should probably get going right now. I think I think I might be in trouble, but keep up the good work. Now, bye. <laughs> Stay out of trouble, mystery man. Good whatever time of day it is, rotoscopers. It's Danny again, and honestly, what else can I really say about Roger Rabbit? It's such an excellent movie, and it's one of those movies that is, in my opinion, nearly perfect in every way. If I may quote Doug Walker of Nostalgia Critic fame, this movie is the perfect love letter to all people who love cartoons, and I fully agree with that. What I really like about this movie is when you see it as a kid, you tend to enjoy all the great cameos from cartoon legends like Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, and Betty Boop. But when you see it as an adult, you realize that this is a very clever story with great character development from Eddie Valiant and some really deep subtext regarding the minorities of the time period. In short, this is a movie that can really appeal to everyone of every age and has held up extremely well over the years. I know this because I rewatched it back in July after my trip to Kineticon, as being surrounded by all those great cosplayers made me feel like I was in Toontown. One more thing before I go. Do you guys ever plan on doing a podcast on Fantasia? I hope you do, because that's my favorite movie of all time, and I'd love to hear what you guys think. Oh, you got cut off. Um, yes, Danny, we are going to be doing this movie. We are going to be doing Fantasia at some point in time. I can't give you a specific date on that, but for all of those who want to be able to submit their own movies, anybody who goes to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon or rotoscopers.com slash patron. And if you want to donate, then you would be able to submit a movie of your choice for us to do. And we do have a couple of patrons who have submitted that movie. So yes, of course we will be doing it. Um, can't give you a specific date just yet, but we do have that on the list. All right. And our last one is from DJ Slope. Hey there, guys. It's DJ Slope here. I had to give a call in because you are now doing Roger Rabbit. Literally one of my top films of all time. Um, probably in my top 20 films of all time. It's definitely a five out of five for me. Uh, as a kid, I was obsessed with this. Always had a bit of a thing for Jessica Rabbit, obviously. Um, I had a cool little flicky game. We had to flick Judge Doom into a pot of uh, dip <laughs> um, uh, at Disney World. They had the uh, Roger Rabbit experience. No, no sorry, at um, Disney yeah, World in Florida, that one. They had the uh, Roger Rabbit experience where you'd have to, you could lay under the bulldozer before they changed it into a Goosebumps experience, sadly. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I've got so much nostalgia for this film. And, and the really, really good thing about it is, I mean, obviously it is a brilliant film for a kid to watch, uh, especially at the time when you've got Bugs Bunny and and uh, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Daffy Duck and Woody Woodpecker and Felix the Cat and Betty Boop, all in the same film, you know, plus loads and loads of others and Dumbo, obviously. Um, but now as a grown-up, I really realise how good it is as, you know, a, just a really good detective film set in a brilliant, brilliant time. Uh, and obviously uh, it's Hollywood. I'm sure it's Hollywood. Everything about this film is brilliant. Judge Doom used to give me nightmares, and he's still such a great, great character. Yeah, I had to call in. Five out of five. Keep up the great work, guys. Love what you do. And uh, I look forward to uh, checking out all your future podcasts. Catch you later.
been such a great time having you with us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I loved hearing Tom's stories. Thank you. I love hearing your voice because hearing your podcast for so long, it's nice to put a face to the voice. Oh, <laughs> bless you. We're going to keep listening. But yeah, no, I had a good time too. It was great getting to know you, MJ. And Chelsea, the couple times you showed up was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. We just wanted to say thank you so much. If you need to check out any of the information that's specific to this episode, just go to rotoscopers.com slash 137, and you'll be able to find everything about it. So, MJ, where can they find you? Well, I'm, I'm on the Rotoscopers website, so if you can look at my um, articles, but just Facebook, really. Not really anywhere special. Okay, and Tom? All right. Oh, I'm all over the interwebs um, on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm Tom Bancroft, one, the number one. And um, please follow me there. And then, of course, uh, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast can be found on iTunes and at topbyapro.com. Uh, and you can, listen, you can stream it there or you can listen to it on iTunes. Please leave a review there. We'll always love that. And uh, let's see. Oh, and then we have a Bancroft Brothers fan page on Facebook. So just the Bancroft Bros. Oh, I And so like you that. can follow us there. Awesome. Yeah. Please join us. Join us. <laughs> We've had such a great time. For any show notes, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash 137 to find out everything you need to know about this episode. You can also use the hashtag on Twitter, AnimAddicts or AnimAddicts137. Definitely, if you want to send us a voicemail, we love getting your voicemails. And then find us also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. I guess that's it. So until next time, everyone. We, we are, are the Rose Scopers. Scopers. <laughs> that was horrible. Oh, my gosh. My brother and I do better than that. <laughs> well, Chelsea, we're just getting... So, Chelsea... Um, what was it like uh, when you were singing with Madonna as a backup singer? <laughs> Tell us about that. Really? <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, his, her mic has dropped out. But what she said was, <laughs> yeah, she had to wear some really skippy outfits. And actually, she went even skimpier than Madonna. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Chelsea. Oh, my gosh. Oh, all right. Well, let's go back now. to Roger. Yeah. Chelsea, hey, I, let's go back to Roger Rabbit. Okay, me and MJ want to talk a little bit, please. Stop talking about Madonna. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've completely... Yeah, and then there's Bondage, too. Do we need to mention that? When we finished Roller Coaster Rabbit, that was back in the days when Disney, at the end of a traditionally animated film, they would give uh, a cell. You'd get one cell from the film. Oh, wow. And so... Um, it was a, kind of a lottery. You didn't really get a picket, yeah. but depending on your station in the studio your, or, mm -hmm. you know, how much you gave to the film. Uh, if you're an animator, you get a little bit nicer cell. If you were to clean up, you get a not as nice. If you, you know, ink and paint, you know, so it, there was kind of a hierarchy to it. The producer, of course, would get a really nice cell. Um, but I did get, I remember I got, I walked away with the one of Jessica where she's all roped up. It's all tied up and stuff, all bound. And, uh, yeah, I still don't remember. I sold it years ago. I still don't remember how, how much I sold that for. But um, I've seen I've seen a few because they took that scene and gave them all out to sort of the heads of cleanup and the animators. So 
there were a bunch of them that got released because the the uh, at least to the the people that worked on that uh-huh. on that short, and so many of us have sold it through the years because <laughs> like I couldn't I couldn't hang it up. My wife wouldn't let me yeah. in our house. You know, <laughs> like Jessica all sexy and roped up and tied up and down. Yeah, I'm just like now. I'm gonna put it in the kids' room <laughs> on the market on eBay. It would go yeah. very well. It yeah, did, well. It did do yeah. very well, but. Yeah, I couldn't hang that up, even though I, you know, I wanted to because it's, you know, nostalgic. Mm. But yeah, nah, not doesn't quite house. go with the decor. <laughs> and and the licensing. So basically, let's just make it up. Um, uh, they weren't allowed to do any licensing um, of Baby Hermit because while Jessica was owned by Amblin and Roger was owned by Disney. Baby Herman was owned by both of them. They split the rights to Baby Herman. Mm. And so, therefore, you never saw Baby Herman plush toys or pajamas or dinnerware. (laughs) And you all missed out on that. I would have totally bought the dinnerware. All of that is false. (laughs) You're kidding. No, yeah. Sounds true, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I made that up. But I you don't want a baby, baby. Herman I don't. Pajamas. I, I really like. Well, no, I don't want the pajamas, but, <laughs> but I love his character. I think and I'd say he's my they, favorite. Like they couldn't do anything with him because then at the end they reveal that he's like really this dirty old man. <laughs> That's you know? true. With his stogie and <laughs> smacking women's. Yeah. So it's not <laughs> like you're going to give your kids a little baby Herman, even if it's the baby version of him. You know. That's true. Baby. It's <laughs> like because true. you now know that he's really this dirty old man. You know. <laughs> So there goes that merchandising opportunity. No, we're not talking about Roger Rabbit anymore. We, we just started talking about Disney princesses. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's your favorite? Aurora. She's always been my girl. Man, I, I like Sydney. I, I wish she was on this podcast because she said more words than you have, Chelsea. <laughs> and no one will know because I basically went through and re-recorded my entire second half. Oh. Well, audio listeners, it's all lies. She was here like half the time. Me and MJ just had to make things up. Don't tell them that. This is the beauty of editing. Well, thanks, guys. I'm going to go get some lunch. Thank you. All right. Bye, Tom. Bye, Bye Chelsea. Nice to meet you. Bye, Chelsea. Oh, is she gone again? <laughs> oh, we're going to have to hang up yeah, on her. Bye, oh, well. Enjoy your lunch. Right. I'm going to go have my late dinner because later in the day. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I bet. All right, well, enjoy. See ya. Thanks, everyone. See you. That's all, folks. I like the sound of that. That's all, folks.